Welcome to Anthropological Theory, a podcast by students for students. We're your hosts, Michaela, Marissa, and Harmon. In today's episode, Anime, we will be covering the life of Mio Durkheim, including his most famous works and concepts of anime. So let's get started. Emile Durkheim was a French sociologist born April 15, 1858, into a devout Jewish family. In fact, his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all rabbis. Unfortunately for Durkheim, his father passed away when he was only a teenager. He ended up having to take on a great deal of responsibilities, which led him to becoming very disciplined at a young age. Yes, Michaela. He was known to be a great student and went to study philosophy at excuse my French, École Normale Supérieure in Paris in 1879. Durkheim looked to science, specifically social science and education, as a way to avoid social disconnection, or what he would later refer to as anime. He began teaching philosophy after graduating in 1882 and later went on to teach social sciences in pedagogy, at University of Bordeaux in 1887. This allowed him to teach the first ever sociology course in France. Eventually, Durkheim left the University of Bordeaux and began teaching at Sorbonne as a full-time professor in 1906. The Sorbonne, for any of our curious listeners, is a prestigious university founded in Paris in 1257 and is one of the first universities in the world. In 1913, he was named the Chair of the Science of Education and Sociology. Durkheim had quite the academic career, beginning as a student to teacher and eventually chair of a department. As you can imagine, a lot of people influenced Durkheim's ways of thinking. Correct, Michaela. His professors and other scholars he went to school with are said to have influenced him greatly, as did the works of philosophers Immanuel Kant, Plato, William James, and René Descartes. Didn't Auguste Comte and Herbert Spencer also influence Durkheim's work? Indeed, both of these philosophers are said to have left formal influences on Durkheim. Comte wished to extend the science scientific method to the social sciences, and Spencer developed an approach to the social sciences that was evolutionary and utilitarian in nature. One of Durkheim's major contributions was dedicated to the study of social order and how society is held together. As a college professor, he established social science and social psychology as an academic discipline, for which he later became known as the father of social science. Some of his primary works include The Division of Labor and Society, published in 1893, the Rules of Sociological Method, published in 1895, Suicide, published in 1897, and The Elementary Forms of Religious Life, published in 1912. He was actually in the process of writing another piece titled Morality, but unfortunately passed away after writing only a preliminary introduction. You know, Michaela, you mentioned that one of his works that he had published was about suicide. I'd like to elaborate on this topic for a moment. Durkheim explained that there are four major forms of suicide. They include egotistic, altruistic, animic, 
and fatalistic. As you know, we are currently in the middle of a pandemic which has disrupted all forms of social life. Durkheim referred to this disappearance of what was known, once known as normal life in times of chaos as anime. Durkheim was interested in what it was that kept society together. He was also of the belief that every science needed a subject to study. Thus, he came up with what he called social facts. These social facts consist of manners of acting, faking, and feeling that are external to the individual in which they are invested with a cohesive power by virtue of which they exercise control over the individual. This idea included a broad range of subjects for Durkheim, all the way from beliefs, political systems, the concept of right and wrong and suicide rates, to holidays and even architecture. Social facts are considered powerful and cohesive, and Durkheim believed they could influence someone to do something they otherwise wouldn't. Yes, this actually brings us to what Durkheim called collective consciousness. As we know, the collective consciousness of a given society includes the society's beliefs, ideas, and morals. The question now becomes, what happens when these social facts don't function as intended? Well, social dysfunction is something that disrupts the normal function of a society. As we have currently been experiencing with this pandemic, humanity is in a state of anime because of the lack of, the lack of normalness, connection, and routine that once made up our lives. The new restrictions and regulations have, that have been implemented across the world have caused a state of social dysfunction. Durkheim used this idea of collective consciousness and social dysfunction in his studies to identify the link that exists between societal structure and suicide. Humans, to Durkheim, can never be truly sated, unlike other species of animal. That is correct, Harmon. The limits of what we want, our desires, are not derived from biological needs like other animals, but are created by society. Durkheim believed that we as humans need to harmonize our desires within our means. In other words, there must be a reflection on what achievements society considers needed versus what is actually achievable. And this brings us to anime, a large weakening of the collective consciousness, or common consciousness, where the social facts are not functioning what we think we can achieve is no longer achievable because of the change in society. Thus, the individual person becomes dissatisfied as they are not able to achieve what society tells them they need. The feeling of loneliness, anxiety, and depression have become entangled in the change that society has been experiencing. This change of the rise of this change and uncertainty has left humanity not knowing how to cope with the new situation. As we know, the rise of COVID-19 infection, curfews, social isolation, and having to learn via the internet have become part of the new norm that many of us are still trying to get used to. The culture of our society is changing due to this pandemic, which as Harmon stated, has left us not knowing how to cope with the current situation. Yes, I mean, there are so many people who have lost their jobs, and not only this, causing an epidemic economic downfall, but growing unemployment rates, which leaves humanity with the uncertainty of how they are expected to survive. This global crisis has left a lot of people feeling helpless, and the lack of normalcy impacts not only our day-to-day -day lives, but important family and professional events. 
this year, I lost both of my maternal grandparents, and it was unlike anything I could have ever expected. Earlier this year, my grandfather was in severe need for medical care for a variety of reasons. However, he was so afraid of dying alone in the hospital, like so many have, that he refused to go get help. By the time my parents were able to go see him and get him the medical help he needed, it was too late. He passed away the morning of May 18th. My grandmother, his wife, was also having health complications. She spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals and was placed in hospice care in October. Due to COVID guidelines, I was not allowed to be in her room and had to say goodbye to her outside across the fence with six feet between us. That's really unfortunate, Michaela. I can say that I have a similar um, experience that I went through. My father was diagnosed with the virus at the early stages of this pandemic. And during that time, everything was so new, so there was so much chaos and uncertainty happening in the world. That, combined with having to be locked in a room for weeks, having no physical human contact with no one, it really took a toll on his mental health. He felt that he was going crazy and began to get depressed being confined in the small room, not even being able to go outside. It was the hardest thing for me to not see my family. I remember driving up to go get groceries for them and having to drop it off at the front door only to ring the doorbell and have to leave. I cried almost the whole way home because I knew that my dad was there and my family was there and I couldn't even see them. Also, when it comes to school, I think that we have all felt mentally overwhelmed by trying to adapt to online learning. This includes both students and teachers. The teachers have had to adapt to new ways of teaching and the students new ways of learning. But that also doesn't come without frustration. I've personally had to sit through hours of helping my parents, who both teach, who are around 60 now, how they can do their jobs that they've both been worked in for decades. School has certainly been frustrating. Never have I felt so unmotivated and distraught in my academics. I've considered dropping out more times this last semester than my entire college career. Yes, Michaela, I completely agree. This semester has definitely brought on a new set of challenges. As if college isn't hard enough, let's add a pandemic to the mix. I have felt overwhelmed and disillusioned, something I'm sure we're all familiar with. As we have come to know, the consequences that resulted from the spread of COVID-19 are exemplified in anime, resulting in social disillusion and a variety of challenges and emotions that people are trying to adapt to as a result of this new normal. The question is, how do we even begin to combat the state of anime that many of us are feeling? Well, Harmon, according to Durkheim, it is important to create a sense of normalcy through routines and form new adaptations to practices that were once at the core of humanity's foundation, such as work, school, gatherings, and outings. Thanks for that insight, Marissa, and thanks to all of our listeners for hanging out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Anthropological Theory, a podcast by students for students. Bye, Bye, everyone.